Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition to the Encouraging Word podcast. Uh, my name is Stephen Young, and I'm the youth director here at Rocky River United Methodist Church, and I'm with Paul, the assistant pastor here at Rocky River United Methodist Church. And if you did not know that by now, how <laughs> you must this must be your first time listening. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Um, so we're going to be continuing our series on First John, and we're going to be looking at First John chapter four. Um, so you can actually check us out on iTunes, which is really exciting to say because it feels like we're in the big time. Um, I know uh, Paul's been lining his pockets with all the money he's been... Wait, have you gotten anything for it? Well, nothing that you need to know about, <laughs> Steve. Yeah, right, yeah. I have very small pockets, so it right. hasn't been a problem yet. But right. Yeah. Paul's in control of the podcast budget, so I haven't seen any money. He's kind of like Judas. He, he takes a little bit out of the... <laughs> the call for yeah. every week. Yeah. <laughs> right. Keep telling Stephen I'm gonna buy him a, a new chair to right. sit in exactly. at a podcasting table, but <laughs> I gotta make him earn it first. I know. It's <laughs> rough, man. Anyways, um so we're gonna start off with what we normally do. We're gonna talk about our fit sec- fit segment. So fun, interesting, and thought provoking things that have happened to us over past two weeks actually. So um, we should have a lot to talk about. So, Paul, Paul, do you want to lead us off here? With your yeah, I suppose I can do that. Um, so, over this past weekend, I, uh, my family and I attended a, a wedding in Virginia. Uh, my niece got married. Uh, congratulations, Will and Lauren. I know you're listening, <laughs> or maybe not, but um, I hope you will. Did you officiate uh, that? I did not. No, my my other niece is getting married uh, in a in a month or two here, and I I got that one. But uh, nice. this one I was just uh, just a participant, yeah. which was kind of nice. You know, nice. it's a nice nice angle. You're a to pastor have. in Canito, huh? Yes, yeah. I was. I was <laughs> incognito, and I I did was not judging or anything right. from yeah. my seat. I just was soaking it in, having yeah. the time of my life. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I wanted to mention, they had a uh, you know at their reception, they had this. Uh, I guess you call it a, a photo booth. Um, I'm not big on on having my picture taken or at taking all? pictures of other people. Oh, or, okay. Yeah, not so much. Um, uh, I, I guess I, I love photography. I love um, you know pictures of nature, landscapes, and stuff like that. But I've never. Uh, maybe it's because there's too many people involved in people photography. You know, it's just not my thing. Um, but uh, I, I've never experienced a photo booth before, and I guess that's what it, it was. You you would uh, stand be you know in front of this camera and there would be like a five second countdown and every five seconds Mm -hmm. it would flash a new picture so whatever you happen to be doing when that timer went (laughs) off um so it was just i I guess it it blew me away how magical this experience was for people because there's something about you know they've been around for a long time though have they yeah where do you find these things just weddings parks weddings oh anywhere i mean arcade places I yeah. think I just maybe I sense that there's something going on there that I don't want to have anything to do with, and I just turn and run the other right. way. But uh, it, it had such an incredible effect on people. They there were people that were really kind of usually very stoic and quiet. <laughs> they would get in front of this camera and they'd make all these weird faces and do these goofy <laughs> things. Like I, 
and and I even fell into the, the, the like I was doing stuff and interacting with my own sisters. They wanted to take like a sibling picture, right? So oh, wow. I, you know, I got my sisters all around me, and they're like holding me up or like kissing me on the cheek. All this stuff <laughs> that just that just never goes on in my family. All of a sudden, this photo booth thing, and yeah. and uh, my dad took some pictures of uh, you know with him at a level of silliness I've never seen from him before. So. I just uh, I don't know if I want to advocate for photo booths because mm. I'm still not really a fan, but it just mesmerized by the impact they wow. can have on the human psyche. You, you know like, what I mean? Yeah, you sound like an old guy who just discovered the computer or the internet. You know? <laughs> There's this box, and you can just go online, and you can, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe that's what I is, am. This is so funny to me because I feel like I have photo booths have it's been part of my life now well i'm not saying i've never heard of them or not wasn't aware they existed i just <laughs> that's what it, it sounds like just never firsthand experience is you know totally different than just aware being aware that's of true. Something. kind of like you know computers the yeah, internet you don't right. know what it is you can until you test drive a car you know right. i test drove these photos photo booth and and boy it was it was an experience that's funny yeah yeah i mean i have only done it twice i did it once with the girls at the zoo which that was a lot of fun when we did that did, were you doing weird stuff that you don't normally do yeah we were trying to find the camera at first so then i took a couple <laughs> of pictures of us just trying to find looking where, around where it was yeah okay see so, so you get it but yeah it was fun i liked it the girls loved it so. well all right well you get it with all the criticism you've thrown at mine you gotta have right. something good for so me. now that that sets me up perfectly for another segment about my kids ah um so mckenna just had her first day of school last week and uh um, i think she had a blast and it was just one of those parenting milestones where you see your kid come off the bus for the first time and she's got this first day of school headband thing (laughs) on her head and it was like drooping over her eyes and it was super cute and um she just came and gave us hugs and talked about her day and the other thing too about school that i realized is that she comes home exhausted Mm. so that first day she was so tired we went to the park anyways and she's like i just she had said i just want to go home and that's shocking because she loves the park that's that's like a thirsty man saying oh i don't want any water i mean she just her in the park or she loves it so yeah, she went right to sleep. So I guess the, I mean, the bed bedtime routine's still a little long, but once she's settled in, she she's knocked out. So wow, that's that's nice. I know. think there may be some curious parents out there <laughs> who want to know how they can get their kids enrolled in this school so right. that their kids so are they could fall asleep quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, good. First day of kindergarten is a is a huge milestone, yep. and uh, you know, I don't know. Do you guys have a, a lot of parents? have some sort of big picture plan where every year they're going to take a a picture of their kid um you know when they're uh walking out the door for their first day or their first day outfit or there's always stuff like that but if you miss this year then it's too late you might as well not even bother we got it (laughs) emily emily my wife was on top of that so good 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 and as soon as she got off the bus there was a photo booth right there so we just went right in how about that (laughs) yeah you weren't kidding those things are everywhere i had no (laughs) idea They're kind of like phone booths now, but now they have photo booths <laughs> everywhere. They um, should put phones in there, too, so you can right. call all your friends and say, hey, meet me at the photo booth yeah, on right, the corner exactly. of 66th and 
<laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, there was no photo booth. Oh. But, yeah. That's so that was my time. fit. That's neat. Good. So we're going to jump right in, and uh, we're going to talk about John, First John Chapter 4. First oh. John Chapter 4, yes. Um, hopefully you've caught the, the first three uh, episodes of this series. Um, but for those who, who may not have or just need a quick refresher, First John uh, was written by a guy named, you, you know it, John. <laughs> by John, uh, John the, the disciple, one of the, the inner circle of disciples of Jesus. Um, John's writing here around about 85 to 90 A.D., so this is a solid 50-plus uh, years after uh, Jesus has ascended back to heaven, and the early church has sprung up and, and sprouted, uh, planted different churches in different uh, cities around um, the, the, uh, around the world at the time. And John is writing in the midst of a, a time where false prophecy and persecution are at an all-time high. And he's trying to encourage um, the, the early believers and bolster their faith uh, in the midst of this type of an atmosphere. So uh, this, is, this is where we're at, and we're coming into the fourth chapter. Uh, if you want to catch the first three and you haven't yet, you can pause this and go back and, and uh, listen into those. But I'm going to read for you chapter 4 if you don't have it open in front of you. Uh, uh, either grab a Bible or, or uh, your Bible app real quick and follow along or just uh, listen really closely. It's hard when you don't have it in front of you, but I'll, I'll try to bring it uh, with a great deal of clarity. Chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. 
In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is uh, uh, chapter 4, rep, and, and uh, Stephen and I are going to come at you, um, well, come at each other with a, a, a handful of questions here or so, and hopefully you're contemplating them too based on what we read um, as we respond to them. And, and the intent is uh, to, to provide some questions that give us kind of an overview, good sense of some of the, the major uh, principles in this passage. Uh, but also to make it uh, more discussion-based, conversational, than just uh, spewing a, a summary of, of the chapter that we just read. So uh, hopefully we got some in, engaging questions. I know I do. Uh, Stephen has yet to prove he can uh, accomplish <laughs> yeah. that, but maybe this week will be the exception, right, Stephen? Yes. Yeah, my questions aren't as, as high as yours, but, you know, I try. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you want me to throw one at you first and sure. and see see if it sticks so okay swing at it. question number one Stephen. Th this is uh this is going to be drawn from verse one so at the very beginning uh do you want me to reread that or do you want to reread it as you, you can answer read it. so verse one again put this in in context uh, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we, uh, Stephen, identify false prophets today, and how are they different uh, by chance than they were in the first century? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think, one, I would say false prophets, false prophets are definitely around and with us today um, and I would actually say that it may not actually be too different um, than what it was then um, I know like the world's different technology and such but the spirit of false prophets I don't would not say has changed since um, John uh, wrote this passage um, but I think the way to identify false prophets um, I guess there's several ways one um, you have this false so false prophets was also a problem in the old testament as well so this is something that is just going to continue but when you look at the old and new testament especially the old testament god would identify false prophets as ones who um, did not follow god's word so as in essence if god um, had said this will happen and a prophet that contradicts what god said will happen um, then that is a false prophet um, prophets always aligned and identify themselves with God and God's word and then whatever a prophet would say so in the Old Testament if a prophet said this is what the Lord says and it came to be or it came to pass then you know that's a true prophet but a false prophet is one that says this is what the Lord says and it never comes to pass um, it never aligns with God's word then you know it's a false prophet um, and I would say those those sort of people in the spirit of false prophets exist today. You'll have 
ministers and ministries that will say things that don't align with um, the word of God. It would be sprinkled with truth, right? I think the false prophets would sprinkle their things with truth. Um, but the whole content of this, what they're speaking um, was not true. Um, so, like, <laughs> just like a little bit of poison in, in a clear glass of water is still poison that mm-hmm. can still kill you. So, um, even though the false prophets may, depending on what it is, they could be saying something that on the surface looks real, but inside it um, leads us from God. Um, so, like, for example, you might have heard the prosperity gospel, which is just a way of saying that um, people who teach that Christianity is primarily about blessings and riches and um, everything that we do. It's about getting rewards. And yes, scripture does say that we get rewarded from God, but scripture also is very clear that following Christ is um, we will face persecution, we'll face suffering, we'll face... The Bible never promises us a smooth, easy life. Um, look at <laughs> look at the life of the the early church or the prophet or um, sorry the um, apostles uh, Jesus's life none of them um, had an easy cushy life As a matter of fact Jesus said that foxes have place a place to lay their their heads but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head um, Jesus in essence really was um, you could almost argue that he was almost homeless right he just kind of wandered from place to place and, and stayed with other people. Um, but in scriptures never say Jesus had a home that he went to. Um, so this contradicts what is taught and what they identify as prosperity gospel. And, and, um, and you could look that up online and find out who people, um, teachers that teach that. And, um, but there's also many other things. I would even argue that something like Mormonism or Jehovah Witness um, take sprinkle things of Christianity, but they're also they're false teachings, but that use a Christian base um, foundation um, to say that they are Christian, but they're truly not. So, false prophets still exist, and and I would say they even exist within our own churches. Um, now, I don't know any false prophets in our church, so. <laughs> <laughs> but just say that within the church, you're going to have people who who are not believing or believe beliefs don't align with scripture. And this is, again, I'm not saying anything that, um, this is, this was true of the early church as well. And it's true of every church. So there's no perfect church. Um, but we, even within the church, you're going to have people who, who are not going to align with God's word and who are going to believe things that are count, counter um, to what scripture says. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me as you explain all of that to pinpoint what the the spirit of false prophecy is. Like, is it always somebody who is aware that their teachings are false and they're trying to draw people away from the truth for uh, for you know a specific agenda, or is it people who um, maybe are you know? Pulling things out of context in Scripture, or picking and choosing what passages they're, they're going to adhere to. Uh, like if I encountered somebody in in the church that believed something different than me, even in a, a core area of our beliefs, um, do, you know, do I have the right to call that right. person a false prophet? Right. If their intentions are not bad, they're they're right. just kind of maybe straight from my understanding of the truth. It's it's tough to sort all yeah, that. Yeah, that's out. a that's a really really good question. Um, 
I'm trying to think of examples in the Old Testament where, so in the Old Testament, uh, you, it seems like, so a, a false prophet, whenever a false prophet encountered one of the true prophets of scripture, the prophet would call out the false prophet and their false prophecies, mm-hmm. and the false prophet would not change like their belief, their stance, or what they've said. So in a, in, in a sense, they were given the opportunities that the prophets said, no, what you're saying is not true, and then they deliberately decided to not believe what the words of the prophet, the true prophet said. Mm. Um, so I guess, for example, I guess a modern example would be someone who believes that... Um, Police, maybe like Christianity is all about the blessings and riches we receive. And someone says, "Hey, let me take you to a couple verses. Let me show you what this, what the Bible says," and and you sh- you illustrate that to them. And I would I would argue the Bible is very clear on that. Mm-hmm. And yet they refuse to believe that. I would say that they're believing something that is false like believing i don't know if that makes them a false prophet but i think they're believing something from a teacher who i would consider a false prophet. yeah they're clearly bullet you know falling for false prophecy right false uh, prophecy, whether they've exactly. you know categorized as a false prophet themselves right yeah and i think pointing it out in the word and that's you know i think it's one thing if they if they just look at it, uh, yeah. whatever the passage is, and, and say, well, sorry, I, I right. just, I'm not interested in right. engaging this, or I don't right. believe it. Um, you know, More often than not, somebody right. uh, in that situation is going to have right. an explanation for why, or right. you know, they're going to argue that right. the passage is being taken out of context by you. And right. that's why I feel like in some ways we live in a different age because... Or maybe we don't. Uh, maybe it just feels different. And, right. and really, they had the same experience back then. Is it, reading these passages in Scripture and Old Testament examples of false prophecy, it, it makes it look so clear-cut. You know, the, right. you got right. the good guys and the bad guys, the right. good prophet and the bad prophet. Right. And, the, you know, when the good one calls out the bad, um, then, you know, and the bad doesn't listen, and they're clearly a false prophet, and they are, they're right. lost uh, to God. But it's so hard nowadays to, to know... Uh, it's you can't just dub somebody the the true prophet, right. somebody the false, because there's so many differences in what we believe, yeah. and it's it just requires an awful lot of discernment and um, and to to call somebody out and call them a false right. prophet, you, you better have a lot of right. uh, support and really prayed prayed it over and to to uh, bring other people around you who right. can affirm kind of your uh, your understanding of the truth right. yeah just uh, the, the, the waters seem a lot muddier nowadays and maybe they're represented to be in scripture right. but yeah and, and I real quickly so we can move on to the next one but I also yeah. think to this the nature and the spirit if someone has their nature is like I'm really trying to learn the Bible, and I have a few mistakes, but I'm I'm really trying to learn. As opposed to someone who's like doesn't have that sense of motivation, yeah. Um, that they have more. What John would see is an antichrist motivation mm-hmm. that's against Christ. So, but that's that's a whole another discussion, <laughs> which actually aligns with my question for Paul. So, <laughs> oh boy, um, what does John mean? So we're looking at verse one again. What does John mean? Test the spirits and 
um, are there many spirits? So on that first verse, John says, um, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits and see whether they're from God. So um, what did Paul or John, sorry, what did John mean for that passage? Well, first of all, I, I don't know if I noticed it quite as much in the first three chapters, but definitely here in chapter four, the, the word spirit is thrown around left and right all over the place. I, I even uh, you know, picked up on that too and, and took a few notes or wrote down some references here of the spirit of God, spirit of the Antichrist, spirit of truth, spirit of falsehood. Uh, there's reference uh, that there are spirits not of God. You know, so um, I think it, it's important first to understand what John is referring to here when he says spirits. Um, and and all of a sudden, as Christians living in the 21st century, all these these kind of vague references to spirits, this uh, this entity that is the Holy Spirit that so often we have a hard time grasping, all of a sudden feels very concrete because at least we know um, something about the Holy Spirit. We believe the the Spirit to be a true entity, manifestation of of God, the three part of the three in one. I don't think that this is the spirit that John is referencing in most contexts uh, that he refers to the spirit in this passage. Instead, he uses the word spirit to refer to all of these other notions, uh, both good and, and evil. And I, I think spirit here, it's, it's hard to find a, another word to replace it, like a, what's a synonym for spirit, but it's a um, just a uh, when we talk about the spirit of God, the spirit of the of the Antichrist, it's uh, just the kind of this um, emotional and uh, psychological pull that God uh, is instilling in His people in a, a good, healthy way, or that Satan is instilling in in a uh, quite the opposite way. It's it's. Um, you know, it's it's what um, what draws us in the directions that we're we're pulled in life uh, towards believing one thing or another, or living in a certain way, or doing something. And when John cautions us to test the spirits here, I think uh, he wants to make sure that, as especially in this in this era of false prophecy, that he's. Um, his context is within. He wants to make sure his audience is is very diligent about uh, who they follow, um, what ideas, um, what uh, trends, you know, what what concepts that they're um, jumping on a bandwagon with, and make sure that they truly are um, good and healthy and, and of uh, the Lord, and. Uh, to test the spirits, and, and we kind of got into this a bit with the last question too, but uh, to test the spirits is, I think, to um, to to uh, check whether a uh, spirit or a concept or an idea truly is of God by looking once again at, at the Word, seeing if it aligns with the Word, uh, seeing if um, there is good fruit coming forth from it, uh, good and healthy and, and um, uh, fruit that is of God coming forth from it. Um, and I think it it's requires a lot of prayer and discernment. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I feel like we need to make this a little bit more concrete because I'm up in the clouds here somewhere. But, um, you know, say this, we'll, we'll, we'll keep coming back to the prosperity gospel for the 
uh, the sake of really, you know, stopping it to death, and, <laughs> <laughs> and because it's easier than coming up with other other examples. But you know, when you encounter this notion of the spirit uh, prosperity gospel, you're, you're sitting in a church service, maybe, and and uh, you like the the ideas that are being thrown out by the preacher that oh, if you, you follow God, you know, God will ensure that you are you are blessed in worldly ways, uh, that right. that you have uh, a good job, that your family is healthy and happy. Um, that you know you uh, you are provided for, um, and y- you hear this, and it sounds good. But John would caution you to test this spirit, test this notion, test this concept. And I, I think once again, you got to go back to the Word and see if it truly is uh, consistent with what you read in the Word. Um, you have to have people in your life who uh, you can trust, uh, who are holding you accountable, and these relationships need to exist before you get to this point. You know, you know, it's so much better than to try and go and find somebody and say, "Hey, I don't know what to make of this." So hopefully, this is something that's organically happening in your life all the time. That you're testing the spirits of everything you're encountering in the world uh, to see if it's true, to see if it's of God. Um, but yeah, people that can can help provide wisdom for you. Uh, you're testing to see what the fruit of this is. Is it truly people who buy into this, live into this concept? Are they really producing fruit for for Christ? Um, substantial, meaningful, uh, godly fruit. Uh, so I think to test the spirit is to. Um, already be living within a healthy, um, a healthy Christian life, um, and having people, healthy people around you, making sure that you're already being fed by healthy spiritual leaders, and um, and then every time you encounter something new, to put it through the ringer, run it through this process of of making sure with all of these uh, healthy support systems that you already have in place that it, it proves to be true and worthwhile and, and um, that it's not going to be something that pulls you into Satan's arena further from God in some somehow, some way. So I think it's uh, that's the best way I can put it concretely to test the spirits. Hopefully it's something that we're all doing all the time because we put ourselves in a, a healthy pattern of living, that we have these resources around us and people to hold us accountable, resources to hold us accountable. And we're doing this automatically, uh, but certainly sometimes they can sneak up on us and, and we get caught off guard. Right. That was good. I agree with that. Uh, it reminds me also, too, of the Berean church. When Paul came to preach, the Bereans read the scriptures and were testing what Paul, um, Paul the Apostle, was saying to them. Um, mm-hmm. It's like the Bereans were using the word of God to test really the spirit of Paul and see what, what was he teaching. So. Mm. one of the examples in scripture yeah yeah good and i like the fruit example too because that's what jesus would say that you know a tree by its fruits and what they produce sure are you bearing good fruit if not you're going to be tossed out right yeah at first i thought you were talking about the church in berea ohio oh wow about (laughs) to share some dirt on the the, church yeah the the churches of berea Berea. they're (laughs) they are totally lost right Right. All right. I better better keep us moving. Hopefully, Number we don't have two. any anyone listening who's from overseas or something. Huh? <laughs> right. 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 That, that our, no idea. Right. Our Iceland listeners out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, with our vast audience, right. it wouldn't surprise me. But I'm glad we're we're taking a moment right. to set them straight. Uh, so this is pulled from verse 11. So let me let me recite that real quick. Uh, it says, "Dear friends, since God so loved us." We also ought to love one another. Pretty straightforward. Question is, 
uh, based on this verse, what should be the driving force behind our love for others? And hopefully you give us more than a one-word answer because it would be easy to <laughs> cop out and do that. Yeah. And um, how does this set followers of Christ in the way that we love uh, apart from the, the rest of the world's concept of, right. of love and loving one another? Right. Uh, my one-word answer is Jesus. <laughs> All right, my next question is... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I already answered. It's Jesus. So it's a... No, I, I think, uh, I mean, it is Jesus, but to give a little bit more context to it, um, uh, yeah, I think the verse kind of answers it for us when it's um, what kind of love do Christians have. Um, God, Our love is informed by God's love. Um, God's love informs us. It's the model. It's the example of love. Um, we love because we've first been loved by God. Now, I would argue that the love of God is different than the love of the world, and I would say John would agree with that because John throughout, there's a theme in John's first John, um, is that John is always contradicting the world and Christ or the world and God. Um, and I would say, I would say John would say God's love is different than the love of the world, and that's seen clearly through the death of Jesus, um, death of Jesus Christ, his atoning sacrifice for our sins, which... I believe he mentions in ch chapter three. No, no, no. So th in chapter chapter four that we're in, he said, "This is how love is made complete among us, so that we have confidence on the day of judgment." Um, in this world, we're like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, he also said, "Oh, here in, in verse ten, chapter four, verse ten. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins." So. John right there is saying this is what love is. He's really identifying it. And what I love about John is that, and really throughout Scripture, and and I, it, Scripture doesn't say give us this dictionary definition like what is love. Mm. Love is when two people come together and have mutual agreement that they have. You know what I mean? It's not a definition like a dictionary. When when John is defining love, he gives us a story. He says, this is the story, mm. that God loved the world, and he sent his son as in Tony's sacrifice for our sins. And then someone's like, what does that mean? And then John's like, let me tell you the story, right? Um, just like, and this is this is seen throughout scripture. So even, um, we've all heard the story of uh, um, the Good Samaritan. So before that story, someone asked Jesus, um, so Jesus, who is my neighbor? And expecting this, you know, like, well, Jesus is like, well, your neighbor is the one who lives approximately three miles to your right and to your left. Those are your... No, Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Mm -hmm. And he tells a story of the Samaritan who who um, bandages and heals up the one who uh, was beaten up and, and pays for him and takes care of him. And he says, then you shall do likewise, right? <laughs> He's like... Follow the story. Do likewise. That's who your neighbor is, um, and and that happens throughout all the scripture. When when the Jews in in the Old Testament were trying to who was God, they always went back to the Exodus, and they talked about how God saved them from Pharaoh and 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 um, in Egypt, and that's how they their best way of understanding and identifying who Yahweh was is through his actions. So this is precedent throughout scripture, um, and John is continuing that. Um, that precedent of telling us the story of what God's love is. And also I would say that um, John's letter is really good because 
when he defines love, he's like, you can't love God and hate other people, and you can't love God whom you can't see um, if you don't love those around you. So mm -hmm. um, John says, if you truly love God, then you love other people. I mean, it's that simple to John. John's like, if you're not loving other people, then you don't love God and you don't know God. Um, it's, it's that black and white to him. Um, because God, when he showed his love to us, it was complete sacrifice of his son. His love was, um, he loved us um, to the death of his own son, atoning sacrifice. Um, and that love is the love that's to inform us. And God, in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Um, so if we can't love the world, we can't love the people around us, then we don't truly know God. And then John says God is love. So to not have love in us is to not have God in us so mm. um but yeah and that, it's really challenging i mean that's that's a really challenging um to love those around us to even love those who hate us to love our enemies as jesus would say um and and then we don't see god how, how can we say we love god whom we don't see but we um how can we say we love a god that we don't see but don't love the people whom we do see mm -hmm. um right in front of us so that's why you gotta love Steelers fans, even when they <laughs> when they're jerks, you just gotta love them. Steelers fans and people from Berea, <laughs> yeah, right. Prosperity Gospel people, and yeah, yeah, right. the list goes on and on. Yeah, wow, yeah, I, I like your point about um, you know, really honing in on the, the definition of love in Scripture. You got me thinking that you know where, even though all of Scripture, in fact, all of the world, all of creation, is based on God's love for us. Right. Where in Scripture can you go and, and find and right. point to? This is the definition of God's love for us. Right. You know, it's it's never truly. And, and if we were to try to define it, our our right. best attempt would probably come back to how human beings love each other. We talk right. about oh, they they have a lot in common. They feel a lot of affection, and and they make me happy. And it, it's so that is so off <laughs> off target. For God's, you know, for for us understanding God's love for us, and the best way that God can help us understand uh, His love for us is through stories, and uh, ultimately through the greatest story ever told. Right. Ooh, you like what I did there? It's a movie <laughs> yeah. reference, right? Greatest story ever told of Jesus, uh, who came down and and personified uh, God's love for his people. So um, if you want to try and define love, um, don't use words. Just show somebody a, a, a picture, hopefully a moving picture of the life of, of Jesus um, and in action and, and uh, his love demonstrated through his words and his actions and relationship to the people around him. And that's, I think, um, what Christians need to mimic as they seek to love one another. Right. And I'll add real quickly here, um, too, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's like debates. And one of the biggest things that atheists, those who cannot believe in God, one of their biggest challenges is defining love. Mm. Um, it, it's a huge, huge thing. And, and two, um, a lot of people don't believe in true selfless love. Like, and Jesus exemplified true selfless love. And that, I think that's really hard um, for an atheist to understand because they, they define love as biological and if it's not, it's not truly selfless. It's always selfish. It's always mm. for some other purpose. Um, but Jesus shows us true selfless love. Mm. So, we, yeah, maybe we should do a podcast on love. We could... 
We could, uh, yeah, a lot to talk about there. We wouldn't be able to talk, we'd just have to show it because <laughs> you can't. So, that would yeah. be our first video <laughs> yeah. podcast. First video, yeah. Exactly. Jeez. Um, all right, so my second question is has to do with love. Ah, <laughs> what, what if I don't feel love towards someone? Do I still know God? Is this so that's, uh, that's kind of based off verses seven and eight? Okay, um. And it says, verses 7, here, Dear friends, let us well one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So what if I don't feel like loving, feel love towards someone? Do I still know God? So is this one of those situations where you're um, you know, pretending to ask for a friend, but really this is a personal <laughs> crisis that you're in the midst of? <laughs> right, exactly. How am I supposed to, um, no, that's a, that's a fantastic question, and um, certainly one that all of us have wrestled with at different points in our life. Uh, if we are not loving others, uh, do we... Do we still love God? Or, uh, I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but if you throw the word feeling in there, if we don't feel love towards yeah, others, right. um, does that mean we don't know God or we don't truly love God? Right. I, I think, uh, first of all, there's this pattern in the book of First John in which uh, John seems to put everything in in absolutes. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. if you don't do this, then you're not this. Or if, if you are this, then you will do this. And he does that for a reason. I think putting this in its proper context, he's speaking to people who are um, just not you know, almost in denial of the truth or are falling prey to false prophecy, who are uh, have the truth right in front of them but are living in ways contrary to it. So he really has to put uh, things to the extreme um, to get their attention, get the attention of his audience. Now, that doesn't make this statement untrue whatsoever. Uh, that that's quoted here in, in verses seven and eight. That uh, because we don't love somebody else, um, then we must not know God. I, th I think absolutely, uh, as as John implies here, we have to love our neighbors, even those that are most difficult to love, uh, to truly know God and to to demonstrate love for God. We have to be able to accomplish that. But first off, it's not a love is not a a feeling. Um, to steal a song title from one of my favorite bands of the 90s, uh, love is a verb. <laughs> love is an action verb. It's, um, it's, you know, you don't have to feel love towards somebody. You just have to be able to, um, you know, see them. I think love truly is based primarily in seeing somebody else as a child of God, being able to see them through God's eyes and um, and having that at least bring you to the point where even if you feel anger um, or resentment towards somebody, you can still see their value as a child of God and, and hopefully treat them with dignity and respect. So I think obviously the end goal hopefully is, is that we would feel and uh and experience love with everybody around us but in the meantime if you're not feeling it if you don't feel like you like somebody you can still love them um in, in action and in truth 
Uh, but even that being said, I, I think this passage, it's important to understand that the end goal for all of us uh, to, to experience the full um, power of a relationship with God and, and His love at work in our lives is to love um, everybody around us. So if somebody were to come to me, and, and everybody kind of has a story, right, of somebody who did them wrong at some point in their life, and they just say, I can't forgive them. Um, there's no way I can, you know, I can love everybody else. I can't love this person. And, and as much as I want to pat them on the back and say, oh, it's okay, you, you get off the hook on that one, it's just not the truth. It's not biblical. Um, Jesus expects more of us. It doesn't mean it's easy. Um, doesn't mean you have to feel love for that person, but we need to be at least working towards um, loving that person in the sense that God calls us to love others, being able to see their, their value as, as his child, um, desiring them to grow in their relationship with God, you know, wanting the best for them. Um, and hopefully in the sense of uh, love that it is a, a verb, being able to treat them and, and demonstrate love to them through action. So I don't think if you aren't there, that that necessarily means you don't love God, but I think that does mean uh, that there's a, another level of love for God and knowing God that you have yet to obtain, and that that, um, that one relationship, that one person, that situation that you're struggling in might be holding you back from fully experiencing what God intends you uh, to experience in knowing and, and loving Him. I think at the end of the day, yeah, we always have to try and push through that because there are greater heights of of faith and and uh, experience of our relationship that that are awaiting us um, but we're all works in progress at the same time that's good um i have a third question for you but i think it kind of overlaps a lot with what we we've talked a lot about love <laughs> already here my <laughs> right. my third question i don't i don't know if you have anything new that you haven't already said Stephen. but what exactly does god expect of us when he commands us to love our brothers and sisters what does it look like right. uh, what is really he he after ultimately right yeah and yeah we have talked about this a lot um and, and i'll say actually john answers this himself in chapter 3 verse 18 and looking at it, it says dear children let us not love with words or speech but with actions and truth um i love that verse so it's, it's basically saying we can't just love by what we say but we gotta love by what we do and the perfect example is a husband and wife husband says i love you i love you but he doesn't do anything for her. <laughs> you know, he just sits there, or even with his kids, he says, I love you, I love you, I love you to his kids, but does nothing for them, doesn't provide for them, doesn't spend time with them, doesn't talk to them, doesn't have any communication with them. Is that truly love, right? Is that father actually showing love to his family? No, not at all. And, and I think, as a matter of fact, it's really sad because we have that happening in our world today. We're fathers and mothers just say i love you i love you but don't do anything for the needs and the well-being of their own kids or the well-being for each other um and john would say that's not love and i agree it's it's obviously not love so yeah i think john really answers that clearly and then my last question for paul here is verse 18 talks about talk going from love to fear now mm. um still talking about love though Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
So should I, um, should I not have any fear in life? You know, when I see a giant roller coaster and I have fear, <laughs> does that mean the perfect love of God has not driven out all my fear? Mm. Wow, uh, another doozy. Um, <laughs> well, I guess I, I would start by going back to how I prefaced my last answer and reminding us that John speaks a lot in, in absolutes here, in extremes. And, and um, so I think tempering uh, his, his, his words a little bit with that in mind, um, ultimately the goal is to not fear at all. Um, isn't that what the 23rd Psalm, uh, shall not fear, you know, it's, it's in numerous places throughout scripture. God tells us, don't do, don't be afraid. Uh, what is it? Don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> you know, don't, uh, you know, so be happy, you know. don't worry, be happy. Yeah. yeah. Is that in scripture? Is <laughs> yeah, it? Oh, wait, oh, that's Bob Marley. Oh, oh that's, well, that's kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. <geez. laughs> or not. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Man. Um, but, uh, I, I think. God wants us to achieve a, a point in our faith walk where we see and experience the world so much uh, through his eyes, through his heart, uh, through his ears, and, and, and so understand this notion of, of um, God being present with us at all times and, and our lives truly being eternal in nature, that the, the the occurrences, the things of this world are truly uh, insignificant in, in comparison, and, and I'll say times a, a billion, in comparison to um, the, the eternal life and, and the life that we live within the spirit uh, that is awaiting us and, and we're already living into right now in this world that things of this world are are so insignificant and i think when we step back and really process those those things that bring fear or anxiety into our lives um they are, are almost always things that are rooted in the temporal rooted in uh worldly experiences worldly relationships um worldly you know, activities and I think the, the goal here that God wants for us, because he, he, he doesn't want to see us um, in, in fear. Uh, he doesn't want to see us uh, worried, upset about things. Um, all of these negative emotions and experiences, God doesn't desire any of these uh, for us. But this is one, as opposed to dealing with you know, human suffering, maybe, um, that uh, God, you know, God would look at it and say, this is one that we can be working to overcome. Almost in the same sense that uh, God tells us not to grieve uh, the loss of a loved one. Um, that uh, I think it says in the Psalms, precious in the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. It's Once again, it's an extreme, it's absolute, but God wants us to be working towards uh, having that mentality in life that if we lose somebody we love and, and they were a child of God, um, that we don't need to grieve uh, because uh, we will spend all eternity with them. And of course, it's an extreme statement and right after we lose somebody, um, we're not there yet. And, and God gets that. But he still wants us to be working towards that level in our faith where we can, um, you know, maybe one day, even in this world, say that with confidence that I, I don't, uh, I'm not in, in terrific grief at the loss of my loved one because I have faith in, in eternity. Um, he wants us to at least come close to that or we can begin to grasp that that concept might possibly be achievable in this world. It's the same thing with the fear notion. 
God doesn't want us to fear, and he truly wants us and, and wants us to believe that we can obtain this level of faith where the things that cause us fear and anxiety in this world uh, feel so insignificant to us and are of such little importance that, um, that they no longer bother us, they no longer phase us, that we're solely focused on uh, God's will for our lives and um, that you know so many of these other things uh, just kind of pass right over us. Uh, we soar on eagles' wings right over the cares of this world, you know, such that we don't have to fear um, or feel anxious about them. So, you know, I guess back to the question, um, you know, if we, what was the verse again, Stephen? I totally verse lost. 18. I'm bouncing around all these metaphors and pulling in all these scriptures that I have no idea where they're from and i lost track of where we're so we we know that anyone born of god does not continue to sin the one who is born of god keeps him safe and the evil one verse 18 verse 18 yeah. of chapter 4 thank you Stephen. all right let's try this again uh there is no fear in love that was chapter 5 friends a preview for next week <laughs> So, uh, 18 of, of chapter 4, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, uh, because fear has to do with punishment. These worldly punishments, uh, natural or, or indirect or, or what have you, um, the things that we fear are, are because of the consequences. That What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this plays out? Uh, we don't have to, God doesn't want us to, to feel the need to fear any of those things because we are safe and secure in our eternal livelihood and in his grace and in his will for our lives. As long as we're seeking him out, all these other things uh, that would cause us fear are insignificant. So, um, are we going to feel fear? Of course we are. Um, you know, we're still human. Uh, and this is an extreme goal that God sets before us. But should we be striving for it? Uh, I, I would say absolutely. And, and hopefully it reach the point in life where we can at least understand this concept and feel that it's obtainable or get a sense of it in this, in this world. I think we can and, and should expect that in our lives. Right. And I, I agree with all that. And I would tag on here at the very end. Um, that I think this fear is also defined through the verse. It says, um, verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. Mm. Um, so this, this is also a fear, the fear of someone who fears God on the day of judgment because when we have the perfect love of God, we have confidence, as it says, in the day of judgment. We no longer have that fear of God, fear of our guilt, fear of our sin, fear of punishment. Because the perfect love of God has driven out all that fear. And we know without a doubt that God loves us. And even on the day of judgment when we face Christ, when we face the Lord, we know that the love of God has driven out all that fear. So we come to him on that day in confidence and celebration and joy because we no longer have that fear of sin within us. And, and, and those who don't know God do have that fear of guilt and sin because they haven't that they haven't accepted God's perfect love his perfect gift his son which drives out that fear that we have before God so all right thank you all for listening um, and hopefully this has been great um, material for you to um, dig deeper learn more about Christ about the Lord his love for us our love for each other and uh, we're looking forward to jumping in john chapter first john chapter five here soon so stay tuned for that and uh again thank you all for listening remember our service times are on our website 
I'm not going to say our service. Time, I always <laughs> get it wrong. So <laughs> not always, but it's been a time or two. Right, and you can actually stream on the website too. Yeah. So until next time, folks. That's all. <laughs>